Hi, this is Josie Posey. And this is Sylvia Bellavin. And you're You're listening listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, folks, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and I am so thrilled to be with you. Thanks for taking time to join me today. It is Sunday, February 20th. I'm super excited to dive into this message, have so much to share with you. But as always, let's start together with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name, thanking you for this amazing opportunity. Lord, open our hearts to receive your word today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Zig Ziglar tells the story of a boy that went with his mother to the old general store. He liked to sneak away from his mother, and when no one was looking, he'd dip his finger into the large barrel of molasses. The storekeeper caught him doing this one day and decided to teach the boy a lesson. He picked up the boy by his britches and dunked him head first into the barrel of molasses, then set him out on the front porch of the store. But instead of crying, the boy was out there praying, God, give me the tongue to equal this opportunity. (laughs) What a great story. You know, the last four weeks have been an amazing time as we've talked about the Holy Spirit. I've learned so much, and I hope you have too. There's been a lot of information for sure, and it's challenged us to look beyond what we thought we knew, to look deeper into what we believe and why, and ultimately to become stronger in our knowledge of the Word of God and to be better equipped to serve the Lord. Four weeks ago, we started by discovering that the Holy Spirit is a person and that He's divine. Next, we studied many scriptures that confirmed if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And then we talked about how the Holy Spirit is a seal, a guarantee within the body of the Christian. Next, we talked about the anointing, the earnest, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at every scripture in the New Testament that talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then last week, we discussed the baptism of the Holy Spirit and every New Testament scripture that mentions it. And most importantly, we defined what that phrase meant. It is the immersion of the human spirit by the divine spirit, or the complete and total takeover of the human mind by the divine mind. And today we conclude our series by studying all the New Testament scriptures that teach about speaking in tongues. So let's get to it. First up, let's talk about what the New Testament does not say about speaking in tongues. When you attempt a careful biblical study about this subject, it'll surprise you what is taught in the New Testament and what isn't. This is where we need to begin before we go anywhere else. The following is a list of what is sometimes taught by people, but is not taught in the New Testament about tongues. The Bible does not say that people who spoke in languages were more spiritual. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The Bible does not say a person is unable to control themselves as to whether he or she speaks or what he or she speaks. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28 and verse 32. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. The Bible does not say languages are helpful at all 
unless there is translatable content and someone understands what is said. 1 Corinthians 14, 6 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. The Bible does not say the Greek term glossa should be understood in any way except as a bona fide language. The Bible does not say ecstatic utterances as practiced then in pagan religions were ever a part of Christianity or should be now. The Bible does not say languages would continue as a special gift. The Bible does not say we are to pray in any language but the one we speak or seek to do so. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in the words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in the words I understand. The Bible does not say an experience such as speaking in ecstatic utterances is the criterion to determine whether one is a Christian or not. In fact, 1 John gives at least seven reasons by which one may know he or she is a Christian, and none of them are by such an experience. Those scriptures are 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, 7 through 10, and 23 through 24. 1 John 4, 9 through 12, and verse 15. And lastly, 1 John 5, verses 1 and 2, and verses 11 and 12. And lastly, the Bible does not say we should expect the Holy Spirit to do anything with or for us that God would or would not do, or that we should understand the Holy Spirit to be any different than God is. We need to disassociate the idea of ghost with the Holy Spirit as well. Now, let's look at all the references to tongues in the New Testament. There are a total of 23 references to tongues in the New Testament. They are Mark chapter 16, verse 17, Acts 2, verse 4, Acts 10, verse 46, Acts 19, verse 6, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, and verse 30, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, and verse 8, and 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2, 4, 5, 6, 9, 13, 14, 18, 19, 21, 22, 23, 26, 27, and 39, 15 times in this one chapter alone. Now notice, there are no references to tongues in Matthew, Luke, John, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2 and 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. Now, let's look at each reference to tongues in more detail. First, Mark 16, verses 14 to 18. It reads this way. Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, 
it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. One question that comes to mind about this text is, did they do it? In other words, did any believers do these signs? Did these signs follow anyone? The answer is yes. In verse 20 we read, And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. This is a direct reference to the work of the apostles. The book of Acts is an account of these same signs, following the work of the apostles and the need of faith to make such signs work. There is not one reference or example of one believer other than apostles or those upon whom the apostles laid their hands performing one of these signs. If these signs were to accompany the work or preaching or teaching of many believers, the New Testament is strangely silent about it. Next up, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. On Pentecost, tongues was the instantaneous ability of the apostles to speak in the languages of those present. This experience should show us clearly the definition of the meaning of tongues. Acts 10.46 For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. What happened at Pentecost happened again ten years later in Caesarea, as recorded in Acts 11.15. There Peter said, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us in the beginning. If tongues were languages on Pentecost, they were also languages at Caesarea. Acts 19, verse 6. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There is no reason at all to believe Luke had changed his meaning of the word tongues since Pentecost or Caesarea. These 12 men were given the supernatural ability to speak in foreign languages. Why? To address the multilingual group of people in Ephesus as they had in Jerusalem and Caesarea. 1 Corinthians 12.10 He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. These are two among several supernatural abilities or gifts granted to the Corinthian Christians. Since the church at Corinth was multilingual, there would be a very real need for the ability to speak the gospel to such persons in their language. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30 do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. In this reference, Paul once and for all eliminates the thought that all Christians in Corinth could or should speak in tongues. In context, he's saying that believers in the church should see themselves as a team, not individuals 
under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The tongues of men are the languages of men. The language used by angels on earth was the language of men. It might not even be necessary to speak in heaven because we have no knowledge of the language angels use in heaven. Paul is speaking here of the eloquence of the angels. He's also saying that Christians must not exalt gifts over character. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. At some time, the ability to speak in tongues will cease. It will be upon the arrival of God's kingdom. In other words, the end. At that time, everything will be made perfect and all the special gifts of the Spirit will disappear. Because these gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ, they will no longer be needed. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 40. Now, I'm not going to read the entire 40 verses for you, but I would encourage you because 15 of the 23 verses in the New Testament are contained right in this section. Now, this section of scripture is often titled in your Bibles as tongues and prophecy, and it compares and contrasts those spiritual gifts as well as providing insight into what was happening in the Corinthian church as a result of those gifts. The gift of speaking in tongues was to communicate God's message to people, providing insight, warning, correction, and encouragement. The gift of speaking in tongues was a concern of the Corinthian church because the use of the gift had caused disorder in worship. Speaking in tongues is a legitimate gift of the Holy Spirit, but the Corinthian believers were using it as a sign of spiritual superiority rather than as a means to spiritual unity. In fact, as I just shared moments ago in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, Paul said it is a desirable gift, but it's not a requirement of salvation or being filled with the Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, if you can't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in you and you're not saved. Folks, that's just plain wrong and it's unscriptural. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul said speaking in tongues was a spiritual gift from God. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he said it was less important than prophecy and teaching. And then again, a little later on in chapter 14, verses 26 through 28, Paul said it must be accompanied by some rules regarding its best use in public settings, such as during a worship service. Although Paul himself spoke in tongues, he stressed prophecy or preaching because it benefited the whole church, while speaking in tongues primarily benefited the speaker. Public worship should be understandable and edifying to the whole church, he said. There are many languages in the world, 1 Corinthians 14.10, and people who speak different languages can rarely understand each other. It's the same with speaking in tongues. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.19, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. The way the Corinthians were speaking in tongues was helping no one because believers did not understand what was being said and believers thought that the people speaking in tongues were crazy. Speaking in tongues was supposed to be a sign to unbelievers 
as it was in Acts 2. After speaking in tongues, believers were supposed to explain what was said and give credit to God. The unsaved people would then be convinced of his spiritual reality and be motivated to look further into the Christian faith. While this is one way to reach unbelievers, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, that usually clear preaching is greater than speaking in tongues. Amen to that. You know, when I look back over the past five weeks, I stand amazed at what the Lord has shown us in our study of our core value regarding the Holy Spirit. Just think, folks, we've said the Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He convicts the world of sin. He indwells and empowers the believer. He sanctifies the believer. He empowers the believer and enables us to bear fruit. He seals and equips us to do the will of God. He intercedes for us in accordance to God's will. He leads us and enables us to live as children of God. And according to Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 6, the Holy Spirit brings unity and oneness to the body. God is so good, and I believe he's clearly spoken on the subject of his spirit. And I hope all of us have been challenged to read our Bibles and search out what the Lord is saying to us about this and any other issue we might want to know more about. In fact, next week, we'll address the core value of salvation. Now, that's something I want to know more about, and I hope you do too. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. And as 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, let love be your highest goal. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.